Hello, IP friends, and welcome to Hashtag IP Series, your favorite podcast host, Rita Amri Chinda. If you are a first-time listener, you are welcome. I hope you find my podcast interesting. I hope you learned something. And don't forget to subscribe and favorite my podcast so you don't miss out on any other juicy episode. Trust me, from you know, from the very first episode up to this one, keep giving you guys back-to-back interesting conversations for my returning listeners i love you guys i appreciate you You guys are just the best thank you for always coming back to listen to my podcast and please don't forget to share your best episode with your friends and contacts now we talk about recent cases and development um trends on copyright trademark patent industrial design trade secrets education and plant variety and for today's episode i have a guest who will be talking about one of the types of ip that will be beneficial to smes and startups so yeah stay tuned guys so i was talking about my guest for today he is um versed in patent which deals on invention so if you're an sme or a startup a business owner please 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 take this episode very seriously like trust me guys when once tom starts to talk about um, patents in the united states um you would you know take your inventions and creations more seriously so let's meet tom guys welcome tom please tell us what you do Sure. So my name is Tom Basilino. I'm a patent attorney in the United States. Uh, I own my own patent law firm called Bass Patent Law, located in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, for those not familiar with uh, Frederick, Maryland, uh, it's about it's a suburb of D.C. or Baltimore. It's about 45 minutes travel uh, northwest of Washington, D.C. Um, I am a mechanical engineer by trade. I actually was a mechanical engineer in New York City for about five years before transitioning over to patent law. Um, I worked in a big law firm in New York City for a number of years uh, before bouncing around for, to a boutique and then eventually starting my own firm. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit of a background on, on me and what I do. Uh, our firm, I should say, uh, there are kind of two types of patent lawyers in the United States. And sometimes they do, they do both of these things, but usually you do one or the other, where you're either a patent litigator, meaning that you're in court arguing cases, uh, you know, on behalf of uh, either people suing people for patent infringement or people defending against patent infringement. That's one type of, of patent attorney typically. And then the other type is uh, someone that does what's known as in the United States uh, patent prosecution, which is drafting patent applications, filing them with the patent office, and uh, going through the back and forth of the examination process to try to get clients issued patents, and then all kinds of services related there too. And I am the latter. So I am, uh, my firm specializes in patent prosecutions. So we, uh, our bread and butter is drafting patent applications, um, and then filing them in the office and trying to get them through. But we also manage global patent portfolios and do all kinds of other kind of related services like freedom to operate searches and reviews, patentability searches and reviews, um, patent portfolio due diligence, litigation support, but not actual litigation. Uh, and that's, that's kind of it. Our technology background, I should say. Uh, my technology background, obviously mechanical engineering. But what I like to say is that we practice in anything other than biotech and pharma because I've worked on 
my fair share of, of electrical engineering related inventions, electromechanical inventions, software inventions, uh, basically everything, everything other than biotech and pharma. Wow. I mean, that's mind-blowing. I mean, like, it's, I think, I think it's rare to find um, someone who's not a lawyer that, you know, has a background in another area of law. Because it seems like IP or intellectual property is just reserved for lawyers. So you did mention the um, patent prose- uh, prosecution. Mm-hmm. How would you say... Um, patent is relevant for small businesses before thinking of the litigation aspect or even considering whether someone is actually infringing on your your invention what is patent and how is it very um, important for entrepreneurs and small businesses sure so to answer that question i think it's helpful to sort of take a step back and explain what a patent is and what it's does or supposed to do at least, Um, which in the US, and again, I'll put the caveat here that I'm a US patent practitioner. And so my knowledge base is mostly in United States law. And although we manage global portfolios, I have uh, some knowledge of the patent uh, process in other jurisdictions. Uh, My main source of knowledge and anything I'm ever able to give advice on uh, should only be pertinent to to U.S. law. So anyway, a patent is is meant to protect inventions. That's how you differentiate it from other forms of intellectual property, like trademarks are for branding and copyrights are for creative works. Patents are to protect inventions. And what they are meant to do is to exclude others for making, using, selling, uh, an invention for a finite period of time. That's the patent term, which in the U.S. is typically 20 years from filing of the patent application. Uh, and if you're lucky enough to get a patent, then you can essentially have a uh, finite monopoly over that invention for that patent term. So the trade-off, as far as the U.S. government is concerned, is that um, all patents are eventually published. Uh, and so mm-hmm. if you're putting out there your innovation, your, uh, you know, your invention, then others can approve upon it and we can further, you know, innovation and entrepreneurship as a society and the benefit or that the government gives you for doing that, for disclosing your invention, for saying here society, here's what I've invented is that if your invention meets the criteria for patentability, then they'll get a patent where you can then preclude others um, from making, using, and selling an invention. So for companies, big and small, um, it can be really valuable if, say, you manufacture widgets and um, you want to prevent your competitors from manufacturing the widget that you are manufacturing and selling. If your widget Mm -hmm. meets the criteria for a patent, you can file a patent application on it. And if you get an issued patent, you can basically preclude others from doing it for maybe a whole 20 years, which if you have, if it's a valuable uh, product that you're selling and you can prevent all your competitors from selling it also, you can create that monopoly for yourself. Um, One thing I'll also put a caveat on it too, is that a lot of times when you hear patent practitioners speak about patents, um, they mention all the good things about them, um, which is easy to do and we're biased to do that. Uh, But Mm -hmm. patents aren't for everyone. They are generally a very powerful legal tool, but also a very expensive legal tool to get uh, for better or worse. And so uh, in a lot of cases, 
sometimes small companies or entrepreneurs or pre-startups or startups, um, it may be in their benefit to not file patent applications and to just get their invention out there into the market. Um, that's kind of counterintuitive for a patent attorney to say, but I'm not naive to the fact that budgets are very constrained in the beginning of, of companies in the early days of companies. And so, mm-hmm. in, in the, and since the patent process can be very expensive, you may want to reserve that budget for other areas. It's always a fact-based scenario though. And that's more of a business decision than a legal decision. But I always like to, when I speak to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial groups or innovators from us or anywhere, I always like to remind them of the fact that like a patent, may not be the answer for your company. It may not be a valuable tool for your company. And you really have to take it on a case-by-case basis. So how do you know when patent is um, the best form of IP for your company or your brand? I know you did mention that um, it, it may not be advisable for startups to you know, consider patenting an invention and just take the risk and put the product out there. But then how do you know that your patent is really valuable to be able to, you know, give it some legal backing um, in the U.S. or from an international perspective? Yeah, so that's an awesome question. And it's a tough one to answer other than to say the self-serving answer of speak to someone like myself, speak to a patent practitioner, and they can give some insight into whether they think one, you know, whether you have a chance at all to, to get mm. a patent, um, because right, you don't want to really throw good money at a bad idea or a bad patentable idea, because there's, there can be a, a great business product idea service, whatever, that maybe is not good for patents, and vice versa, there could be something that would be a slam dunk to try to get a patent for, but maybe it's not a good business idea. And so those things are separate. But Um, it's always best to early on in the process, kind of contrary to what I said before, uh, to speak to a patent professional. If you have something that is an innovation that you think is an invention that hasn't been done before, or it's an improvement, a significant improvement, I should say, on other Mm. things that have been done before, um, then you may want to consider getting a patent, especially if it's easily copied by competitors. And so if you want to preclude your competitors from doing that, you should consider the filing of a patent. And the reason why I said it's good to early on have these discussions is because selling your product, offering for sale your product or service or whatever you think you may have, um, you know, the potential to get a patent over, uh, if you publicly disclose it, or if you offer it for sale, or if you actually sell it, that could preclude you from filing a patent application. And then in the United States, we're actually fairly inventor friendly, where we give inventors a one year grace period after any disclosure, offer for sale or sale of an invention to file Mm -hmm. a patent application for it. So those are known as statutory bars. That year period is known as a statutory bar, meaning that if you wait a year and a day, in theory, at least, you are forever precluded in the United States for filing a patent on that. And so if you have publicly disclosed your invention, you start that one year clock. And we're kind of a little bit unique in the United States in that sense. There's a few other jurisdictions worldwide that have grace periods, but many and most, I should say, do not. Like Europe is a good example of where any type of public disclosure of an invention could and probably will forever preclude your right to file a patent application on it. And so 
the rule of thumb that I really like to preach and emphasize, and if there's one takeaway from your audience and in the global community, um, is that you should keep inventions. If you think you have something that is a valuable invention, you should keep it a secret as long as possible until you've either spoken to a patent practitioner about whether you want to file a patent application or you have actually filed a patent application because any types of those public disclosures or offering it for sale even um, can be detrimental to filing a patent application and can in some instances preclude you forever from the ability Mm -hmm. to file for a patent application. Well, I mean, it it's insightful, but then it beats scary because one, you say registering a patent is expensive, mm-hmm. and I know talking to a patent attorney is also going to cost you a lot of money. So, how do you bridge the gap where you have to service um, the startups and the entrepreneurs, and then comparing them to the the bigger brands who are already established? I know that okay, if I have an invention. I have to do the need for in terms of registering it. Now, let's say, for instance, you've done a registration and the term of duration is about to elapse. Is there a strategy you would you would advise or any insights you want to give um, entrepreneurs in terms of extending their term of duration? Yeah, so those are two different questions and, and they're awesome ones. So let me answer um, uh, each individually, at least attempt to, but steer me back in the right direction if I go off course. Um, so the first question, Rita, that you asked was, was an awesome one, really, because uh, it's the conundrum that a lot of entrepreneurs and small businesses and startups and pre-startups find themselves in, which is how do I, if, if, publicly disclosing or offering for sale or selling my invention, which is potentially patentable, and I want to maybe try to protect, um, if that could preclude my right to file for a patent application, and that is expensive to do, like, how do I I generate the revenue in order to file a patent application? And honestly, there's not a simple answer to it. There are some um, tools that can be used by inventors that are cheaper than the like standard filing of a patent application, which I typically advise clients to do at early stages, especially when, when budgets are tight. And so in the United States and in many other jurisdictions, and I should actually take a step back and explain why I keep saying in the United States or in other jurisdictions (laughs) is because patents are territorial, right? And so a U.S. patent only protects Uh, activity within or imported Mm -hmm. into the United States. So if I only have a U.S. patent on my invention and someone is infringing it in, let's say, Germany, and they're only in Germany, they're not in commerce, you know, in the United States, they don't import, you know, they don't export into the United States, they don't touch the United States at all, there's really not much I can do about it. And that's a decision that every patent filer has to make of like what jurisdictions are important for them to protect. So that's the reason why I keep saying uh, jurisdictions or territories uh, is because of that. Like the, the reason is because patents are territorial. But anyway, so in the United States, there is a tool called a provisional patent application, which is an informal type of filing for the sake of getting a filing date for reasons like going out and seeking investment, selling your product to raise money for a more formal patent filing, which is called a non-provisional, which would follow. Um, And you can do research and development, try to perfect your invention or design. There's there's many reasons why one might file a provisional application. 
But many times it's really for the sake of getting a filing date in a, in a cheap or cost-effective manner, much more so than filing the full-blown patent application, which in the United States is called uh, a non-provisional application. And so the goal of a provisional application, though, should be in whatever form is best to do so, um, to submit to the patent office something that describes your invention fully in a way that would, you know, enable someone else having a similar skill level to the inventors um, to be able to make and use that invention. If they haven't met that threshold, then a provisional application is worthless. The reason why I say that is because the colloquial example that patent attorneys in the U.S. usually give of how informal a provisional application can be is a sketch on a cocktail napkin. Like in theory, you could have a sketch on a cocktail napkin. You could file that in the patent office, pay $150 for a small entity, which is not much in the patent world. Um, and you could be patent pending on whatever you disclose on that cocktail napkin. But as you may imagine, it's, it'd be pretty hard for most inventions to fully describe an invention uh, as a sketch on a cocktail napkin. And so a, a provisional application should be, in my view, more robust than, than that filing. But it is, as I said before, the filing fees are very cheap um, and you can do it with relatively little legal handholding as opposed to what's required for a non-provisional patent filing, which does have many formal requirements and a cocktail napkin would not satisfy those requirements whatsoever. And so that is yeah. one of the tools that can be in the toolbox of smaller companies and entrepreneurs for filing a patent application in a somewhat cost effective way. Um, and so that's like one tool. Another tool that they could use is trying to seek investment, but still maintaining secrecy. So having potential investors sign non-disclosure agreements before you show them what you have, uh, and then seeking investment that way, make, making sure that it's not a sale of the product itself, but more of an investment in the company or the inventor. And so that is a way to, to circumvent um, you know, the on-sale bar that I mentioned earlier. Uh, but again, the best practice is to actually have a patent application filed before you disclose it to anyone. Uh, but I know in a practical world, that sometimes is, is not easy to do. So before I move on to the second question, though, I want to make sure you don't have any follow-ups or you want me to clarify anything there, because that, that was okay. a very important point. <laughs> okay, so uh, I think what I wanted to ask as a follow-up question, I know you mentioned about signing an ND, and I, I have a very uh, different view when it comes to signing NDs, especially for entrepreneurs, sure. because one, you sign an agreement and then someone breaches the contract or mm -hmm. someone improves on your invention. So it means your invention and the money that was put in is no longer relevant. What would you do in that instance? Because it seems like NDA is supposed to, it's supposed to save you at some point, but it's mm -hmm. basically not doing that even with the, um, provisional um, patent application that you're supposed to be doing? Yeah, so there's not a real good answer to that question, which is a very good question. It's one that brings in real world uh, items into like a perfect ideological, like legal explanation, right? Because you're right. Like there is, an NDA is just at the end of the day, a contract that can be breached and yeah. your repercussions for that are always expensive. Like you have to, sue and try to circulate, get back that money somehow of whatever could have been lost by the, the breach of that non-disclosure agreement. 
And that legal battle can be challenging. And so, and it, and it may not solve the problem. Like there's not really, as far as I know, at least uh, a really good exception to that disclosure rule, even if there's some nefarious things that, that go on. And so it can be tough. I mean, the only best advice I could be is, or could say is to be very careful um, and try to vet as much as possible. Um, you know, try to research as much as possible who you're dealing with and, and see if they're reputable and try to get referrals from them, other people that have worked with them. And again, this is all kind of challenging stuff when resources are tight, um, when networks are smaller, when you're just starting out, um, you may not be able to do all of that. And there, there comes to a point of where you just have to take some risks in business. And that's just one of them that, that you'll do. Um, the will I, what I will say though, is that, you know, if you do have an idea that you think could be a patentable invention, like that's probably not in and of itself a business. You should have a business plan formulated around that. Like, how are you going to monetize this patent that you may file for? Or how are you going to monetize this product or service or whatever you think the patent should cover in a way that generates revenue that could potentially pay yourself back for the expenses incurred for filing patent applications. Um, and so like the, like a thing I like to say often to uh, client or new clients or, or potential new business is that, you know, you wouldn't buy a $10,000 safe to protect a hundred dollar painting and patents are kind of the same way. They're, they're very expensive legal tools and can be very powerful legal tools, but the juice has to be worth the squeeze, meaning that whatever it's protecting has to have some pathway to monetization so that it justifies those great expenses that a patent application or, or patent family of applications. Mm. let's um, move on to the next question which is sure. on patent prosecution mm -hmm. so what would you say is the best um, form of dispute resolution when it comes to patent um, infringement would you advise um, an entrepreneur to opt for um, a court proceedings or an out of court proceeding yeah so I have a, a a very probably biased view on, on that. Uh, but the short answer is out of court for sure. Uh, and the reason is because I've kind of said a lot about the patent process as far as patent prosecution is concerned being very expensive and it is, and I stand by that. Well, whatever <laughs> envisionment that your audience has of the patent prosecution process being expensive, times that by a hundred and that's what you're dealing with with patent litigation and it's probably actually more than that uh, patent litigations and litigation in general is absurdly expensive uh, at least in the united states and as far as i know in, in most jurisdictions worldwide uh, attorney's fees are a nightmare um, and patents cases are, are usually pretty complex and there's a lot of necessary steps that go into it that the court is usually pretty slow. And so you're in it for a very long time. And so I would almost always try as hard as possible to settle things out of court. And there's some data on this, uh, but it's like, 
last I looked, it's like over 95 or 98%, I think even of at least US patent litigations are settled outside of court anyway. And for that reason, no one really wants to pay these like crazy fees for, for the lawyering and all the other nonsense needed um, for a full-blown patent litigation that finishes in a jury or a, a bench verdict. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's tough too. Cause like, as I said before too, about the patent process being expensive, enforcement is, is even more expensive as, as that alluded to. And usually your potential infringers know that. Um, and so it can be, it can be a challenge uh, if, there's someone out there, if you have a patent on your idea uh, or invention and someone is out there infringing it, like, what do you do? I mean, the first thing you do is you, sh you should speak with a lawyer because um, they should, you, anything you do, you shouldn't be doing things on your own that could be detrimental to your own rights. Um, but usually that process starts with a cease and desist letter sent to whoever's infringing. And sometimes they just stop um, and then it's kind of all done. A lot of times they won't, and then you have to be a little bit stronger about it. Um, there, there's some things that you can do there. There are also some, uh, there's actually some ways that you can raise money for just the sake of uh, filing lawsuits. And so there are uh, like lenders out there that will, if you have a credible case, like fund your litigation. And so, but I honestly would never want to go onto those steps before trying to exhaust all of my out of court options first. And usually that can be as simple as, as talking to whoever uh, is infringing it and working out a deal. Um, there was something that happened early in my career when I was working at the large law firm and it was basically two French companies. We represented one um, and I was on this call with all the lawyers and the two, and the two companies were on the call too. We had, uh, our client had sued the other, uh, company for patent infringement. And, um, it was quite funny where the other company was very taken aback by the fact that we had, uh, filed a complaint in the, in the court, uh, alleging them of patent infringement without calling them first. And they actually kicked off all the attorneys on the call, much to our dismay. Um, and I had not known, I was so early in my career, I didn't know if this was normal or not. That's not normal, uh, by the way. Uh, but they had kicked all the lawyers off the call um, and then worked it out themselves and saved themselves probably a boatload of money in, in doing so. And so I'm sure the law firm that I worked for wasn't very happy with this outcome, but the client was, and that's really all that matters. And so, um, yeah. And so I would, I would try to exhaust all out of court options possible in the case of where, um, you know, you think someone's infringing a patent of yours. Mm, fantastic. So um, I know when you were introducing yourself, you talked about being, um, a mechanical engineer before um, becoming a lawyer. How was the transition? So let's say um, there's someone out there that wants to transition into an IP practitioner, maybe a patent um, attorney. Was it very smooth for you or you had a little um, bumped on your way while transitioning? <laughs> yeah, so it was, um, it was an interesting turn. Uh, so first and foremost, if someone's in a similar position, right, they're in a, they have a, some sort of technical background of where they could go into patent law, at least in the US, it's a requirement to have a patent uh, or to have a technical background uh, 
if you want to be a patent attorney, an actual labeled patent attorney, which means you got to do to do patent prosecution, what I do. Uh, but you can, I should put the caveat that there's no such requirement to be a litigator. And so litigators can have any sorts of backgrounds. And some of the best patent litigators I've ever worked with, frankly, didn't have technical backgrounds. And so that is not a requirement to do litigation. But for um, patent prosecution, for doing what I do, for actually becoming a labeled patent attorney, uh, you do need that technical background. So first and foremost, I wouldn't delve into law at all unless you are very proficient at reading and writing and you enjoy it because you're going to be doing a lot of it. Um, and so the reason why I got into patent law is that the seed of, of patent law got planted into me when I was in college and university and studying mechanical engineering. And a professor noticed that I was a much better writer than a lot of my, my peers, the, my classmates. And that's frankly a low bar for engineers to reach because many are not very good writers whatsoever. Um, but he had noticed something in me. Uh, and so he actually tried to get me interested in, in patent law. And I kind of just, I thought it was interesting, but I, I wanted to be an engineer. And so I knew that. And so when I was in New York City, I, in a big city, being an engineer, I, I was working in construction. So I was doing uh, basically the design of mechanical and plumbing systems for and fire protection systems for high-rise buildings, for, sky, for skyscrapers that were new and being built. And it was very, very cool because I got to go to these construction sites, see these buildings, see the inner workings of them, design these systems, see them actually put into place, which was very, it was, it was, it's awesome. It's still awesome to this day when I go back to some of these buildings and see just like little silly stuff that is in a certain location because I put it there in a drawing and that's cool. Um, but honestly, it got a little redundant for me because I was doing, honestly, once you've kind of designed one, you've basically designed them all. And so I was just kind of repeating it over and over again. And, and that to me, I wanted a little bit, something a little bit more challenging. And so the way that I went into it was, uh, I took the test to, to get into law school and I did okay. Um, and so I got into a few law schools. I picked one that was right by my engineering firm. So I could, uh, and that had a night program. So I worked during the day as an engineer and then went to law school at night. And frankly, I, I had the mindset of being very open of, okay, if I don't like this, um, I'm okay with, with leaving it behind me and do, and either pursuing my engineering career or making another pivot. And so that's another piece of advice I would give to people just in general is to be flexible and take opportunities as they come. Um, but anyway, so I actually did enjoy it. I, I did pretty well with it. And so I thought, okay, this could be a calling for me. But another place where I made a big career pivot that was a little bit unforeseen was that when I got recruited by the large law firm and I started working there, I had thought that I wanted to be a patent litigator. I thought I wanted to be a courtroom attorney. But when I got exposed to the litigation process, I was very much turned off and I didn't like it whatsoever. And so I made the transition within the law firm to try to only focus on patent prosecution, on drafting patent applications and prosecuting them in the patent office. And I enjoyed that a lot. And the reason why is because I got to use my technical background a lot more. I got to really delve into these inventions and figure out how they work. And I really enjoyed that. So, I mean, I don't know if there's advice there, but sometimes I just like to kind of tell my story because sometimes people can see 
some reflection on a part of that story in, in their own lives or their own decisions, and maybe it can help them make their, you know, their choices. That's, that's great. So um, what would you say are the trends in the patent industry or sector that um, entrepreneurs and startups um, should be on the lookout for? Yeah, so first and foremost, uh, you may hear, if especially if you're interested in IP, that like patenting software is, is become a little bit challenging lately. And that is true. Uh, as far as it used to be almost a sure thing, and now there's a little bit of a gray area, at least in the United States, and sometimes in some other jurisdictions too. I know Europe has their challenges um, with patenting some software. But Did you say this is because of the Google Oracle case. Yeah, it's it's so in the United States is this Alice case is is the big one, but there's a bunch of others that kind of follow that script. But it's Alice versus CLS Bank. If anyone's interested in reading a horrible Supreme Court decision, <laughs> um, but that yeah, since that decision, it's really rocked the boat in the United States as far as patenting software. But we're coming around to figuring it out slowly, but surely there still is horrible case law out there. There still is bad examination going on as far as software is concerned, but it doesn't change my view in that software is like, I mean, this is saying something that's pretty clearly obvious, but software is, is the future. AI is the future. And so um, I think inventions are going to trend that way. I think the internet of things is making it trend that way, where even the simplest purely mechanical inventions have a software twist to them. And so that would be the trend that I would be focused on. So, um, final, final words, um, unpacking words for us and how do we um, reach out to you if we have questions or if we need to condole to you in the US? Yeah, so um, I, yeah, I think, I think honestly, like one of the bigger takeaways, if I had like big takeaways uh, here, it would be, clearly I've emphasized that the patent process is an expensive one and that that can be unfortunate for a lot of entrepreneurs and small companies, but there are resources out there to help you with that. Um, and so I would, I would encourage you to check out, you know, the, the, at least in the United States, uh, you know, the USPTO has database for uh, seeking, you know, pro bono services of IP attorneys as well as um, some opportunities for like say like minority owned business, uh, women owned business, things like that. If you're older, um, there's some there's some resources for for that as well where you can save some money. Uh, and so utilize those and, and research that. That would be one one thing I would want people to take away. Another thing is to further emphasize the importance of if you want to seek patent protection for an invention of trying to keep that invention secret until you have filed a patent application and recognizing that that can be challenging, uh, but it's still an important uh, thing, at least in the, in the legal sense, to try to keep uh, your invention secret before you have filed a patent application on it. Um, and then if anyone has you know, questions uh, for me, uh, they can reach out to uh, my law firm has an active Twitter account, which is how I, I met Rita, which is great, uh, at Bass Patent. Um, I give a lot of pseudo free patent legal advice uh, and or like funny quips about patent law. <laughs> At least I think they're funny. Um, and my paralegal uses it every once yeah. in a while too, which is great. Um, 
But otherwise, yeah, you can find me on my website at basspatent.com. Uh, info at basspatent.com is how you can reach me via email. Um, but that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of it. But I would just say, like, to emphasize again, um, it can be discouraging to hear that, you know, oh, I'm interested in getting a patent, but it's really expensive. Uh, but good ideas find a way of generating revenue. And so I would just advise people to, to try to utilize their network as much as possible, try to build a network as much as possible. It's, it's, it sounds so uh, like common to hear, uh, but it's, it's so important. Like it's really nice when later on in your career, you can kind of think about uh, just a sea of people that you can go to for help or advice or counsel or whatever. And, and it's, and it's great, or even like investment, things like that. And so you build that over a number of years, but the way you build that is by actually having these relationships. And so you have to kind of put yourself out there for that, which can be scary for some introverted people. And I get that, um, but it doesn't make it any less important. to the end of our recording perfect thank you so much yeah thank you for doing this this is great stuff I'm, I'm really i'm really glad you did it i really did have a good time and if you ever wanted to have me back uh like to talk about a specific topic or not um i'm happy to do so as you can tell uh i can i can talk <laughs> yeah. probably my, my wife would, would agree with that and probably in a bad way uh but like i I can fill airspace, so if you ever, <laughs> if you ever need anyone, uh, feel free to reach back out. This was this was fun. Thank you. I'll I'll take you up on that.